Welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Lightspeed Venture Partners. Lightspeed is a globally leading venture capital firm with over $29 billion in capital under management and more than 500 investments across the US, Europe, and Asia. With its dedicated gaming practice, Lightspeed Gaming, the firm is investing from over $7 billion in early and growth stage capital, making it by far the largest fund focused on gaming and interactive technology. Lightspeed's team combines deep expertise in gaming with a global multi-stage investment platform and a culture that truly puts founders first. Selected investments include Epic Games, Snap, and Stability AI, as well as game designers and producers who led the creation of titles like Fortnite, Call of Duty, League of Legends, Valorant, StarCraft II, and many more. For more information, simply go to gaming.lsvp.com or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Novik Roundtable. I'm your host, Evan Becker, and today we have Solo Anil. Unfortunately, Jonathan suffering a bit from the flooding in SoCal, so we send our best wishes down to SoCal, especially for him and everyone else down there suffering from some of the strangest weather we've had. You get wildfires, they get rain. Unfortunately, not at the same time, it seems. Maybe not the greatest time for them, but best wishes to everyone out there that hopefully everything subsides. But we do have Anil, at least we managed to capture someone from across the ocean, at least. Hey. We got a lot of good topics today too, but how are you doing first? I'm good. Yeah. Like you said, I think the year has started pretty interestingly for games. Yeah. Looking forward to diving in and talking some stuff. Yeah. I definitely find that even with the layoffs and everything else, we're not short of interesting topics. Uh, we've got quite a few today. I think the top one that we were going to dive right into here is Disney dropping $1.5 billion into Epic. And I think that steals the show, I think, a little bit if you want to dig into that one. You know. Sure. What a huge announcement that is. Disney have been almost fascinatingly absent from video games for such a long time and everyone wondered why are they doing this of all of the ip they have are they making their own studios how are they going to do that well, clearly this is really taken from the lego school of video games who did something similar so i think it's really worth referencing that lego put a one billion investment themselves into epic a while ago and what came out of that was the lego survival mode that is a separate game mode in fortnite that you can play that's been extremely successful i believe they're really pleased with how well that's done so now Disney are going to trump that by investing 1.5 billion. Prices go up. That's the cost of not doing your business early. So that's what's going to happen. Look, I think there's so much to talk about. First and foremost, it really is like Disney back with a bang in video games. That's a huge investment to put in. Secondly, though, the strategy in terms of how to do that. So this investment implies that they're going to be not making their own games per se, but use modes in the game. And I think what this really signals is, is Fortnite essentially now not even a video game per se, but it is. Metaverse, like a, and say it. Yes, I didn't want to use that word, but I'm <laughs> glad that you did. Because to be fair, I think this, more than anything else, I think the Lego one was certainly going some way towards doing that. But now that you've got different IPs, multiple IPs in the same game, plus the Fortnite IP itself is so strong, it really does feel like that. I'd be interested to see what you think of this, actually, Devin, because I actually say that this worries me a little bit because it does feel a bit like this is now almost becoming a bit 
too much of a juggernaut that can't be stopped. This is now moving, in my opinion, away from gaming, even though it is games, and more into TikTok, Facebook, that kind of territory in terms of what it is. It's going to become a ubiquitous part of Gen Z and Below's time on the internet, and that's how they're going to capture them. And I get it. I think that is super smart from Disney. I thought it was smart from Lego too that whenever you launch your own products, even if you've got the exact same team to build it, you're not guaranteed to get the users. The users are so hard to get. That is why we've seen so much consolidation in the industry. This one, you're basically guaranteed to do it. I would say that Epic themselves have done such a brilliant job in the past of some of their tie-ins. Like I remember some of the Avengers tie-ins they did in the earlier seasons of Fortnite. So it makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't have been surprised if that partnership has been going strong. So, well, what are we going to see from it? That is very interesting. So the Lego was actually more of a kind of survival type mode, right? It was more Minecraft, you could say, more Ark than it was Fortnite. Um, Of course, they could have just gone pure Fortnite mode. So what are Disney planning? We really don't know. It's just pure speculation in terms of what to do it. Of course, Disney, they have quite a lot of IP on their hands, would you believe, Devin? I know that might shock you, but... uh, I've heard of some of it, I think. Yeah, some Star, sci-fi thing, Skywalkers. Yeah, yeah. Apparently some comic book IPs and even some Mickey Mouse characters. Although he's now actually public domain, so actually to be fair... Yeah, I probably won't see him in in Fortnite anytime soon. Yeah. So what does it it mean? Very interesting. So yeah, it's huge. Absolutely huge. I wonder how many more are going to go into it why they've i will say this i think from disney this is and actually from lego it wasn't too surprising a move because they're companies that essentially they need a video game play but it feels like both of those companies have been burnt in the past by trying to do their own thing from scratch probably because of their own culture and the fact that their industry is slightly different as we know, making movies is very different to making video games. I don't know if we should be thankful or disappointed by that. You because know, there's, I, I wouldn't yeah. mention it before, but we're like yeah. in a previous discussion, but we're actually like starting to close some of the, the gap on that, which is part of the reason that movies can do this sort of breaking apart and coming back is partially due to the unionization and what's been a big theme over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we're moving that direction. But that's a whole separate side topic, but I just want to mention uh, that. That's an interesting one. I had, that. I had a boss once who thought that could be the future of games development. I'm not going to say who that was. It was quite an interesting topic. I, I always feel that with games, you need to build that experience over years. So it's hard to do that. But perhaps not if you've got something like this where the tools are already there. So that's interesting to see. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that I feel that like for companies like this that need to have a video games play, but don't have the experience the time to really get into that this presents like a new opportunity and could work out for both parties and that's certainly what it feels like it is it feels like that's the future of fortnite and maybe even epic so i think everyone's super curious i would be extremely surprised if this wasn't a big success i feel like after lego in my opinion as well the disney ips are way stronger than the lego ip and even though i think we do have to say that in recent years the Disney IPs have been lacking somewhat. Like it's a fact that their movies have not been performing in a box office as well as they have been. To be honest with you, this feels like a good move to recharge it because it's tackling into something that's more up their streets. That's my thoughts. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah. I think that the whole approach is totally interesting. Obviously, they the, a big part of the reason they did this, and they said something about that in the announcement as well, is that their experience with Fortnite has been very positive. They've obviously yeah. done a lot of crossover IP. I think they did Star Wars and Marvel stuff. Um, it's been very successful for them in 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 approaching that. It's it's a good target audience for them, right? Where it's not overly young. Like obviously Disney had a lot of times skewed very young. Now they're hitting a middle audience, which is a good target for a lot of that IP that Star Wars and Marvel IP. So it makes sense to like take advantage of that. 
And also you've got Disney who tried to do some stuff before, like similar to Lego. Like I've talked before about how Lego did Lego worlds and they also had the Lego creator program. Like they had a lot of attempts before and you can't forget about Disney infinity uh, also trying to be a sort of, I mean, there's a little more Skylanders, but also mixed with a little bit of Minecraft. Like it was all over the place, but it did, it was their sort of experiment in this sort of world of IP crossover kind of ideas and, Obviously, they haven't really laid out what they're going to do with this, but they mentioned persistent world. So that's why I'm curious what that means. Does that mean more towards MMO sort of thing? Or does that mean persistent world is in like Minecraft? Because those are both persistent worlds, but like in a different kind of fashion. And obviously, yeah. the Minecraft side is a little bit easier to imagine with the roots of Fortnite being basically a Minecraft game originally. And then obviously the Lego one being also very in that wheelhouse but they might want to do something different. What I find interesting about the whole approach is contrasting with Roblox. So Roblox, because it was popping off during the sort of metaverse craze, you had a lot of people coming in to do experiences for their brand. And I think that's a very different thing that to me screams advert games more than anything else. Or like virtual malls or like second life experiences that they used to have, whereas that's let's just get our experience in there. And some of those were pretty successful. I remember the Sonic one being pretty good and there's been a number of, of good ones but at the same time like it is still a leaning a bit more towards the average game side whereas you take something like the lego thing and that's like a game and i think fortnite having mechanics built in that could be built upon even if you don't go the exact same direction like there's mechanics already the players know how to use those mechanics the controls are already built it's well built it's already cross-platform multiple control types things mm-hmm. like that it, it all works very well why not build off that now i don't know because disney didn't really want to lean super hard, it seemed, into the Minecraft sandbox kind of world in Infinity. And they seemed to pull out of that probably a little prematurely, but obviously the sales weren't there. Outside of to collectors, it didn't really take off the way, say, like Amiibos did over time for Nintendo. But it was like they're dipping their toe into that world. And But again, that wasn't necessarily first party developed either. That was, they tend to farm stuff out to different developers. So I do wonder in this case too, is Epic developing the experience for them? Or is it like another studio or is it like a multi-partner thing where Epic's doing part of it to help facilitate it? But another studio is also like doing a lot of the content. It's hard to say, like Disney tends to not build a lot of their own content and they haven't for a long time. They tend to part that stuff out in mixed results. Like we, we tend to forget there actually has been like a lot of Disney games. They've just been like a lot of mobile games that are tons across. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like all those. And then the whole Mirrorverse thing that they were pushing. I could even see them pushing, say, the Mirrorverse in this, like build up that world. Because I've seen that IP start to grow a bit. Uh, and so there's angles there. But then you've got weird stuff like Disney Speedstorm, I think, is coming out. Like finally hitting like 1.0 or whatever. And they've tried stuff. And I still see Lion King in Aladdin on sale, like on Steam, like recently for the old classics that they did back in the day. Obviously, I don't think they developed those in house, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this because, as you said, the Lego one was a big success for them. And I think this just builds off of that. And Fortnite is obviously hitting like the right mark. Like they're not skewing as young as Roblox, so it's not as tricky for them to deal with. I think it's like a an audience that's a bit more like gamer centric yeah. and able to like get into it. But the fact that they've got all these different platform support, I think helps for them. And the, even if they have to go off the stores, they're willing to make it work on those platforms. And they fought hard for cross platform. Don't forget, like they, they pushed Sony heavily into that territory and they fought for that in their fighting for a lot of app store stuff. If anyone's going to become the metaverse or take over, become this IP platform, like at least it's someone who's fighting for a lot of like, like beneficial things for developers. It's like actually things that that benefit developers that will eventually benefit consumers and dumping tons of money to us. Disney's dumping money into them and they're dumping that into legal battles that may benefit us. Cool. 
Disney's now actually doing something useful with their legal battles rather than just trying to extend copyright for Infinity. So it's, it's, it's kind of nice. Way. I think it's a, it's a good thing. But I am curious, though, like if you had any more information on exactly how Disney invested, because I did see something about a minority stake. So I'm curious, like how they're actually involved, like what the financial deal was, what level of like influence or control they might have over Fortnite or Epic or anything like that. Obviously, this is a huge cash injection for for Epic. I I would imagine it's very similar to how Lego did it themselves. So when they made that deal, Sony also, I don't know if you know this, are also involved. Both of those made $1 billion investments and it was for minority stakes, I believe 2 to 3% at the time. I reckon it's probably for the same amount because probably the valuation of Epic has gone up since then. So yeah, it doesn't mean you're in majority control, but it means you always have access to full information. You're first to know what's going on. Get Tim Sweeney's email. Essentially, yes. Essentially, <laughs> yes. And it's going to allow you because that's the thing is like the curious thing with Fortnite, when we compare it to your Roblox analogy, is that these game modes sit on the front screen. At the moment, there's not so many modes that you can choose from. But what happens when there's a hundred different game modes that you can choose from? Now, all of a sudden, those companies are battling with one another. So I suppose that having a minority stake means no, actually, you're always going to be part of the big kahuna so to speak and you'll get it there so just before we round this section off i think it's high time like when i see the success of the spider-man games on playstation i'm not actually 100 percent sure who owns the spider-man ip exactly i think parts of it owned by yeah, Disney, parts shifting aren't. from sony yeah know, yeah it's, it's anyway my, my point is that's been very successful and i've just always thought why are disney leaving so much money on the table i cannot believe during the whole mcu especially the avengers endgame phase that like it any sort of half competent video game, even probably a not competent video game, would absolutely have cleaned up. And yeah, more importantly, is to connect with that audience, which just feels like a massive waste. Now they've solved it, so let's not yet, but we feel that they're going to solve it. Yeah, and I'll be interested too to see if they like the big question I have whenever these IPs get involved is the Fortnite creator mode. If eventually some of that bleeds into there, like I, if that can become again essentially a Disney Infinity kind of thing or so, like a Lego thing, those both kind of suit that idea as we've seen experiments with that in the past. I don't know though, Disney tends to be pretty tight about controller IP. So I feel like Lego is much more likely, but Lego is also its own IP is actually somewhat vanilla a lot of the times as opposed to a lot of the IP they bring in. But they do have other ones like you know, Ninjago and some of their sort of like first party IP, I believe that they've built up over time. Although, like I said, a lot of their success has been off of other people's IPs in there. So it's like Fortnite's becoming this big mishmash ball of IP. And so it's like, which parts of that will make it into creative mode so that we can hopefully leverage some of that? Like, I don't think we're going to be able to just make a Disney IP basic, like full on Fortnite creator mode game anytime soon, but they could take advantage of allowing some of that. Like I, I believe when the Sonic thing happened in Roblox. There was like a bit of access to using some of the Sonic IP for games. I think some people made some like Sonic games and things like that. So it would be a bit of goodwill for Disney to like allow a little bit of it. So you guys could do something or they could just be funny and just put Winnie the Pooh and Steamboat Willie and just be like, here, you can have at it with these two. Just so we don't have to worry about copyright. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. It's a big topic. And it also, I think, could lean eventually potentially into Web3 aspects obviously fortnite hasn't said anything about trying to do anything web 3 or anything like that but they've been at least epic has been fairly friendly to web 3 in terms of allowing stuff on the store actually like making policy changes to help support it and then you've got disney a lot of people don't know this is going on but disney actually just is like launching right now in the middle of all this 
a Web3 project flow from Dapper Labs. And I actually just got like an invite to like the early access. It's probably not exclusive or anything for like their app on iOS for pin trading is what it is. Because they actually started taking pin trading away from the theme parks for some reason. But they are like doing it via Web3 now, which is interesting. It's interesting that they're dabbling still in that. And it doesn't seem obviously that's happening right now. Still, while Iger had taken back over. So they seem to be pretty friendly uh, towards at least experimenting there. And I don't know. Again, that, that could be very interesting if, if Fortnite or Epic starts to go more in that direction. That actually swings over to another Web3 topic that we actually have. We have a couple of them, surprisingly, today, despite the fact that it's cool down, which is, again, related to IP and financing around Mythical and Phoenix, something that was a hot topic was a year or two ago, at least, because it was one of the bigger fundraisers that we'd seen around Web3, which was $150 million to a company called Phoenix that had essentially broken off from Mythical Labs, who are still doing good stuff with NFL rivals, which I'm sure will be very interesting with the Super Bowl coming up here any day now. So that that should be like a big, uh, this will be basically a big distraction off their plate for that as they have now settled between the two, because to catch everyone up on what happened, essentially three of the executives from uh, Mythical Games we're out essentially doing some fun. And this, some of this is uh, purported. I don't really know how much fact there is on here. But basically, the executives were supposed to be out fundraising for Mythical Labs and somehow made some deals with Cypher Capital and some others to essentially fundraise for their own project instead, which is what the lawsuit was about, and then went off and suddenly quit. And I think it was like less than a month later, they announced Phoenix, which of course, it's supposed to be like the Phoenix coming out, although they spelled it with an F. Uh, and it, that was their big project. And they announced they like raised 150 million. This was a big deal. And they were going to act as both like a publisher and a developer, which I imagine the publisher part was probably because they didn't have like games ready to go or anything, but wanted to start doing stuff. And like after that big whole thing happened, they just kind of went quiet for a while. And uh, there was the lawsuit announced from Mythical that, hey, we're suing them over that. They were basically diverting our fundraising to them when they were still employed here. No, and uh, they've now settled, but it's it sounds like basically this is a little late for Phoenix as they apparently never raised the 150 million, which I'm assuming is probably because of the lawsuit, but no details from the case on that as they've settled. And I imagine probably haven't announced a lot publicly in related to that. But at this point, it sounds like Phoenix is basically done. One of the three executives, the CEO of the company is already gone. And I can't imagine the other two are there still. So I think at this point, it's someone put out the fire, essentially. Mythical Games won that one. We don't know what the terms were, but I can't imagine they got $150 million out of it, right? They, those never raised. Probably not a lot to win out of the settlement. So, unfortunate circumstance, but for Mythical Labs, it sounds like probably a decent outcome. Outrageous, the whole thing. That really implies that, as you say, they were employed by Mythical and fundraising for another entity, and circumventing that money to that new entity. And if there was any proof of that, then no wonder they were probably in legal hot water and decided it's just better to move on with it and accept that it never happened rather than fight it out of an expensive lawsuit and lawyers win again. But in this case, if that definitely happened that way, you, you have to say that Mythical were well within their rights to do that. That is a gross, what's the word, but negligence or not even that, sabotage almost, espionage in terms of a company. I'm not really, I guess things like this do happen all the time in more traditional industries, but that's really quite outrageous for that to happen in games. We don't know the full details, right? I don't want to overly assume, but it certainly did look, at least from the public perspective, a little dodgy. And it obviously did not work out. 
uh, as you said, the one month is the big giveaway. Like, right. if, it's, if it was six months or a year, you would still basically assume that was the case. Right. But you would assume that gardening leave and or non-competes were put in place so they would yeah, be safe. Yeah, you non-compete would have stopped them from doing that, but... Yeah, maybe that's what they thought that wasn't the case, and that's why they were confident. Maybe they spotted that in their contracts, yeah. for example. Anyway, I don't think say, we'll get a Netflix docu-series, no, often, no. unfortunately, but Too uh, bad. the details come out. Yeah. But hopefully, again, like I said, it wasn't a huge distraction for Mythical Games, because they've yeah. obviously been trying to play off the success of NFL Rivals, trying to get Nitro Nation World Tour going. They're trying to like pivot Blakos Block Party over to mobile eventually. I saw another game on their site that I couldn't even read the name of because of the art, but they look like they have another one in the works. They're weird about making sure they promote their new stuff across all their pages for some reason. They definitely are doing quite a bit. So hopefully this is a case where now they can maybe accelerate a little bit more, especially post-Super Bowl. Obviously, we're both Web3 fans here, so we do want to see some success. And NFL Rivals is one of the few that I would say was a mobile success. Like it actually, whether or not long-term is as far as like actually landing on the store, like getting promoted by Apple, pulling in money. We can't say that they're making profit because we don't know how much they're spending, but it's still like one of the better like success stories I yeah. think we've seen. It's good. Obviously, it's a, it's American centric, so I'm sorry you guys don't you don't get it, but uh, you'll get your own, I'm sure, at some point, right? It's settled now, so I think yeah. we can move on from that. Thankfully, sure. Yeah. Let's keep in the Web three world and right. move on to our, our next topic. So another really interesting topic this to discuss this week is. The Heroes of Mavia worldwide launch. Heroes of Mavia is another Web3 game, Web3 mobile game. It is essentially Clash of Clans, but with Web3 elements added to it. What's interesting about this is, I guess, the renaissance party for Web3 gaming. This is the first one that I think has really made quite a big impact, I would say. And we're both in the Web3 world, and I can say that it has been the talk of the town in the last week or so. So their game had been in development for a while, but they actually listed their token at the same time. And a lot of people thought gaming tokens were dead. It certainly disagrees with you. As the time of speaking, they have a market cap of a billion. Their token already went up by kind of 25%. I think what's impressive is they had over a million downloads in three days. They were using quite an innovative acquisition campaign, which is almost play to airdrop is how you would call it. So we've had play and earn. We've had yeah, play and own. I don't know if that's much of a pivot. I think airdropping and earning is the same thing. <laughs> their response was that you download the game and play to be eligible for the airdrop and the reason why i bring this up is that's what's given them a million installs in three days no matter how you want to cut it really one of the fundamental issues in games i would say in the last two to three years has been scaling and attracting audiences to your product and that's not just in mobile that's across everywhere that is the reason why Coming back to our first topic of the show, why have Disney invested in Fortnite rather than making their own game? Because they realize that is how you get the audience. Everything else is a risk. So in order to achieve, that is still quite impressive, however we want to cut it. And so far, it has, I would say that it's considered within the Web3 space as being a very successful launch in terms of the token and people are quite bullish on it compared to things that have gone before. I think what's worth giving relevance to this as well is that there has been a bit of a renaissance in Web3 and gaming tokens over the last four to five months. Shrapnel listed their token at the end of last year and that really surprised people of how successful it is. Shrapnel's like an extraction shooter style game. It's, it looks and pretty as a side note, they have uh, some playtests yeah. going on this week, I think. So you could probably find some videos of people playing online. There, there you go. There you go. It'll be interesting to see. I'm sure they will launch big at some point this year and although it's more of a platform the immutable x token has also gone up quite a lot recently too so that's there's three separate cases of things doing it and it seems that after years of building and surviving the bear market 
that now some of these games are releasing and starting to put in some performance. In terms of just to give some more kind of context, the game is quite derivative, I would say. I don't I hope it doesn't come across as unfair, but it is very much Clash of Clans. And I think if you look at the game review scores, it was currently sitting about 3.4 when I last looked at it. And sort of the two biggest complaints were one, issues with kind of the servers. It may be getting hammered by a lot of people playing, which I guess of a million downloads in three days is Yeah, so that's what they call a good problem, I think. Yeah, well, unless it does unfortunately say that they haven't built their architecture properly, but I don't want to speculate. I, I just like, I don't know if you remember this, Devin, but Simpsons Tapped Out was a thing many years ago. Oh, I and remember that, it quite well. Yeah, yeah. They had to pull that and re-architect it and it took six months to do so. So those things do go on and it has happened At least before. it was appropriately named. Yeah, or Drive Club. Do you remember that on PlayStation? Another similar one, but unfortunately the architecture wouldn't support it. So it failed, even though it was quite... Uh, I mean, what game, what big game launch doesn't fall apart yeah. almost immediately we just had the whole thing with a suicide squad their yeah. early access fall like day one yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's part for the course at this point we can cut them some slack yeah the other yeah. one i guess was unfinished features there's a lot of kind of coming soons mentioned in the game i think one of the big things here is they're literally going up against one of the biggest games in gaming history but certainly over the last decade clash of clans has literally got what now 12 years worth of content on there if you're a player and you've spent six years in clash of clans are you going to leave that game for a new one maybe not i would probably tend on not but you know that's well, if you think about it like so the big thing right is the sunk cost is like the yeah. reason not to leave but if you're talking about a web3 game and the web3 game does offer the ability to potentially take what you have and leave now you're like oh hey i have some cost in clash Clans, but i'm not going to sink or have a sunk cost in this game because i could take it out and like self-justify why it's okay to do it a second time maybe i'm just saying the possibility that's exactly where perhaps you should work for Mavia and Sky Studios. <laughs> sure. But look, I want to say firstly, for someone in this space, congratulations to them. I think Definitely. regardless, it's still a pretty good game. It's going to grow and get better over time. And it's showing, well, look, I mean, here's the questions of why we wanted to bring it up. Is this the start of a new wave of Web3 games this year? In my opinion, I think it will be. I think you're going to see much better quality stuff coming out this year. I also think with the sheer number of games, maybe not necessarily this year, but that were in development, that one surely is going to break out and be pretty successful. And that may even make many of them. I think the space has definitely evolved a lot. But now that this quality has been increased, are we going to see this kind of new wave? I suspect we probably are. Coin is halving in April. Will that lead to a crypto bull run? I don't know. I think I saw some notifications earlier about it hitting 45 Okay, again, so I don't think I don't think bull run. I'll be honest, but at the same time, like it's not all sad times. Yeah, yeah. So I I would agree. I feel with two wars literally going on on the planet right now, I don't think that's good for going to lead to a bull run. So that's maybe something outside of its control, but we'll see. Do we think the game can sustain its performance? I think that's an interesting one because what tends to happen with a lot of the Web three games is that they come out with a strong start. I can remember the game Thetan Arena from a few years ago. But it can't really maintain it because not enough people are doing and people are aping into buy the token. It's right. going up too quickly, too soon, and then it crashes and then it's all dead. One thing I'll say is a game that is based on Clash of Clans is going to have a lot of progression and a lot of meta to keep people there for at, a long time. At the very time. least, it has a lot to look at from yeah. what Supercell has done and copy if they want to or make adjustments if they feel like hey that was not the right direction or the players being like hey we actually want more of this type of game like they do have some opportunity to steer it a little bit a different direction potentially 
Exactly. They do say that the Mavia token is going to be used for governance and making decisions. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And you kind of already touched upon it. One of the questions I wanted to ask was what impact does the Web3 element have in terms of interest and reception? And you make quite a good argument there. That could be a reason that you think, well, okay, hold on. If I go into this game and then it turns out I don't like it, I can actually get something back from it. Or I can play the game around the game if I come into it. And that's always been one of the things that we people have said could be the reason why Web3 gaming takes off and it becomes a thing it's certainly possible you certainly see that kind of evidence and behavior in in other non-traditional games and markets so we'll see that and i think you know perhaps the best way to describe this is this might not be something that's gone completely nuclear like uh, power world which we'll come to in a moment just to give an update on that which is you know that's why i feel this year has already started in pretty interesting way i would say look we're only what six weeks into the new year we've already had disney dropping 1.5 billion in making a Fortnite game mode we've had a game come out of absolutely nowhere to <laughs> to be the new darling of web3 well, all streamers worldwide yeah it's not the only one too we had other big success stories like lethal company and stuff like that some of these smaller ones so yeah Exactly. And now we have this, the renaissance of Web3. So I think that's already quite a lot of interesting things here to see. And yeah, what I would say is I feel that like this game has probably got a strong enough start now that it may give it a platform to see of that model going forward. So, you know, if we conceptually think about it, a game where the players have genuine power to decide what comes next and ownership over it, you're certainly pulling a face and perhaps that face is right to be pulled. But it's an interesting model stroke hypothesis for can you make a game and sustain it that way my personal opinion is i think that could be a very successful model i think that what i see i think over the last couple of years is that games these days are really growing from word of mouth i would say that's known for about the last five to six years that's the biggest way to pull in new people is that one of your friends is playing it so you want to play it with them if there are games where you feel that then you have ownership over it and those sneaky devs are actually listening to you and doing what you want and doing things that are in favor of the player base does that actually lead to an overall more profitable game which was flew in the face of what was previous logic in yesteryear and i feel with the games industry getting more and more competitive that perhaps that is the way to go because it means that you have something genuine and that connection is going to be the thing that keeps you in the game. There's so many games that, you know, the truth is that if no video games came out from now to the rest of your life, you still wouldn't have enough time to play all of the video games that are out there. And I'm sure that everyone, no matter how much of a gamer you are, you've missed out on some absolute incredible titles. It's just the way that it is. All I'm saying is I wouldn't rule this kind of thing out. I think that so far it's done it in quite a nice way. There's no sort of like power progression there. It seems fairly fair the way that they've done it. Obviously, Clash Clans is a power progression game, so maybe it's not going to quite work in that space. And that would be my question for them, actually, like how you you make that work in such a setting. But like I said, I think it's really interesting, one that definitely a lot of the industry will look at. Perhaps it's a false start, or perhaps it is another big checkpoint on the way to seeing some kind of new tech and disruption in the games industry. I think you touched on the most important topic, I think, going forward for Web3 Mobile, which is, does this work for user acquisition? That's yeah. If it succeeds, and it, because, because of the Web3 part, you're going to see more people do it. That's just how mobile works. It's a lot of Xerox machines out there. They see something that works, everyone starts doing it because, well, it makes business sense to do that when it's especially a lot of business people running these mobile game companies when you're so analytics, data-driven, so numbers-driven, like it. If you see that work, you're going to try and do it. I saw what Fate and Arena did uh, that you mentioned earlier. Like That had a pretty big impact on people being very excited about that. But we didn't really see a lot of mobile hits come out after that, which was surprising because 
I don't want to denigrate mobile development, but it's certainly a little bit easier, I think, than say like, trying to develop for consoles or potentially even PC. You had these potentially big AAA games coming out and stuff. And it's like, why, are, why isn't everyone just tagging into mobile? Obviously, there was a lot of uncertainty around the app stores. And I think that contributed to the slowness of this and like this idea of this renaissance that may just be a delayed, hey, we had to wait till we know what the policies were before we could truly commit. And then successes like NFL Rivals helps show like, okay, there's some path here. I would be curious to see the actual details because I haven't dived into the implementation just yet, especially with a lot of the coming soons on there of the implementation of Web3 because it's still a tricky space. And I think as that gets fleshed out, that will help determine how much this becomes a bigger movement or if it's just, hey, like a nice note. And then maybe six months from now, we get another one, maybe not. But I think there are plenty of mobile games that struggle with user acquisition that would look at opportunities like, hey, if we just did some airdrops in here, could we suddenly be like, I think to something like Blur was a good example of like, oh, how can you compete with OpenSea? Let's just you know, get people super excited over airdrops. And that yeah. worked out quite well for them. And <laughs> whether it's sustainable or not, it doesn't really matter for them at the end. And I don't mean there's a pump and dump rug kind of thing. I just mean like it, sometimes they, they could get enough of a flywheel or just sometimes, hey, it's successful enough. No business lasts forever. And if they can last a year and do really well off that and then it crashes and burns, that's certainly not the worst business to run. Obviously, yeah, that, another that, but. That's something I'm quite curious on because perhaps maybe it is already a success. It's hard to say, but the amount of volume of the token has already been traded. I don't know if they're market making with their token, which means reinvesting it to, to maintain the price. But it is possible, as you say, given how much it costs to make a mobile game, that they might already be ROI positive, in which case it would be a success. They can obviously, I hope they do maintain it and keep the kind of community going. But as you say, like in the past, before live service games were a thing, how did the g- games used to work is you'd set a budget and if it meet your targets, then you green light the sequel. And if it doesn't, you move on to the next. How much it- money did I have left over after that game to do something else? Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Or or DLC, maybe, if you're lucky. Like, oh, we think we can squeeze a little more out of this. The expansion pack evolved. model as well, yeah. right? As, as the OC used to be in yesteryear. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think you're right. I think that would be a prediction I would make. Is that I feel that maybe not this year, but I think what this year will really flesh out what will be then allowed with kind of Web3 and mass market. And we'll start to see that more next year because I feel that like this year will give us the answers and then the legislation will be made so that it rolls out. Unfortunately, it still takes a bit of time, but this is still a great first start, I think, for doing that. So just so people know, it's not currently working in the game and not at least what I could find, but supposedly they will have the ability to buy the web three assets inside the game using marketplace using some mm-hmm. kind of proxy part currency maybe going with the kind of stepping route or something like that um, yeah and that's the thing is that there are a lot of like hoops to jump through with mobile development for web three but i think there's also a lot of solutions to yeah. things that are relatively feasible even if they're not fun to implement and i think uh, as we see more demonstrations of that the step in example i mentioned with their sort of like side currency to try and make apple happy and things like that i think in these situations if you manage to pay the the troll under the bridge their fee you could pass as much as you need to and that's what it comes down to as long as you're like legal and making sure apple or google get their cut i think we'll see a lot more stuff be okay and i think one of the things that may contribute to more of these things, if it's successful, right? Where it's like you, people see a success, they will try and do more of it. Is like the tooling has improved over time. There's more frameworks and SDKs and tools and stuff to where it's more doable in a shorter time frame than it used to be. And the, so I, as I mentioned earlier, Heroes of Mafia is not like a new game. Like it didn't come out of nowhere. They announced it a long time ago. And that is one of the things too you have to consider is that they had an invested player base 
a long time ago, something like Kickstarter or something where they're invested in it, but maybe even more financially than like a Kickstarter where you just bought something ahead of time. This is really like investing in the game. And and it's not just tokens. I believe there was land in this game as well. Yeah, there were airdrops and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it's just before we move on to the next topic is I actually think that is, in my opinion, the thing that I've noticed with the sort of breakout games recently is they do tend to have this kind of grassroots into phenomenon type journey. So they have an early version and some true believers that stick with them for a while. They're building like in the spare time, secretly undercover, but they're always making the quality of the game or the fundamental gameplay loop really good. And then at some point it crosses a threshold where actually it is good and then they go big and then it sustains because it's good. So yeah, maybe it is like a Kickstarter plus, but it is interesting because I what I'm saying is that I feel like that is proving to be a bit of a consistent way of being successful right. and in the industry right now where it's big bets that you're making on and people generally trying to play it safe rather than scared maybe right. that's that that's the way that you get around and that's the thing safe. too is like a lot of the big companies are trying to make games they're either trying to capitalize on ip or they're trying to do a bunch of soft launch testing on some idea that may be a clone or maybe like an iteration of something and then just doing a whole bunch of analytics stuff and then pumping for scale once they figure it out. But it's not really like community building. And I think Web3, whether you like it or not, has actually changed that quite a bit. Like they've really shifted people's mentality around community building on Discord, especially. I think Discord has probably been the biggest beneficiary of Web3 that doesn't get talked about often enough is just they get gaming in general, I would say. I feel right. And so it's one of those situations where like, the community building was just ignored for a long time. Mobile was very not social, didn't have a lot of social aspect to it. Reddit was the closest thing we had to communities around mobile games. Maybe occasional forums, but forums slowly died off in favor of stuff like Reddit. And so I think we're in a position now where community building should be maybe a little more considered earlier on. People like working with the community, building stuff up. Instead of this idea of we just always have to rely on IP, if you're going to build new IP, it can't always just be off of, I'm going to have a huge marketing campaign and shove this in everyone's face. And that's going to build the IP. I think that model yeah, well, it still can work is a little expensive. Now, I think that's the big problem. Is it, it's, do you think it can work? Bad. I'm I mean, not sure it, it can. It, it can. It's, it's just, it's really expensive. And a failure is a big failure. But even like with huge IP, it could still fail. Like we, like you said, even Disney has been struggling with their Marvel IP and other things a lot, even with successful IP. So no surefire bets, but speaking of like the, the groundswell of like a community sort of buildups and games, obviously you know, we mentioned earlier, Power World continues to do quite well with some big numbers coming out. We talked about it like early on and it's still growing. That's what I just wanted to point out. We don't need to do like a big update on this, but it's now hit 19 million players. So, you know, with these games that kind of come out of nowhere, I think recent examples would include Fall Guys, would include Among Us, but these games didn't really sustain to grow to 19 million players is pretty impressive, I would say. And I think because it's based on kind of survival mechanics and arc style gameplay, I would suspect that whilst it may not sustain that amount of players, it will probably keep a lot of players for a long time. So I think this is now a big success. And uh, yeah, a lot has been spoken about it, but I am very curious now to see what happens with this. Because going back to our kind of recurring theme today of people not necessarily taking risks with new kind of mechanics and things like that. If you already owned an existing IP, or I don't know, just to put it out there, if you were Disney, we've just seen that Pokemon with guns works. Does Disney characters have guns work? I, I don't know. And a Disney good. Speedstorm, so we can see them racing, and then we've got them fighting in the like, mirror stuff. So like, I feel like they're edging that. You never know, maybe. I, I could see, see a, a gun. 
I think if you made a Power World game with Disney IP, I, I, that's the thing is, is if Disney did Disney stuff with guns, there's no way that wouldn't sell. Like it's just a matter of whether or not they want to protect the brand enough to not do that. But I think there's no way that doesn't sell. Like it's just I going mean, they, to. They don't have to be guns, right? They can be super soakers that shoot right. foam or whatever. Yeah, like people too. hitting each other with frying pans and stuff in exactly, games. Like exactly. obviously, there's some level of weapons that like they consider are okay to yeah. use. Or even in the Infinity games I mentioned earlier, like there's still combat. So. So that is, I'm sure this was discussed last week. That would be my prediction is that which major IP is going to take their mechanics and do their version of it first. Surely Pokemon have already greenlit their own version to do it, seeing as the game's literally proven what's them to do. But look, congratulations to them. And I always say that I think it's great in the games industry how no matter how corporate it sometimes feels in recent years and how consolidated it gets, that in games, something random like this can happen anytime anywhere out of nowhere and when it does it always puts a smile on my face you obviously hope it's going to be you but even if it's not you i just think that it's like the soul of video games there's something special about it that doesn't really exist elsewhere like i feel like even in movies these days it's rare that you get like a movie that comes out of nowhere like you used to occasionally have things like maybe a blair witch project or saw or maybe parasite right. to some degree but that was quite hyped up in in career for example but you they they never really become like massive successes right they just become more indie darlings even if they're roi positive but in video games it still appears that you can come out of nowhere and do gangbusters. Baldur's Gate, another one I would say, although that right. was a, a, I mean, a they, recognized They've been pretty IP. successful before. That yeah, that, that, that's, why was, that's why I'm putting an asterisk over <laughs> right, it. But, right. even, but even then, the amount that they did is still incredibly impressive. I don't think anyone would have ever predicted that them to do that. So yeah, very nice story. Good to see that happening. And um, yeah, who's going to copy Power World first, I guess, is a yeah, cynical I, I, take I on it. I think you're right on that. At the very least, people will try. It's just a question of whether someone with like strong IP will do it. I think the question mark is like, will someone actually risk their IP to do it? But I think there's some IP that are a lot looser or more sense of humor than others. I honestly do. I can't see like Game Freak or Nintendo doing it. But at the same time, they have, you've got a MOBA, Pokemon Unite, like where they're willing to fight each other there. Obviously, if you think about it, Pokemon's entirely based around combat. So it's not like, <laughs> it's not a Pokemon snap, I guess. So it's not, I guess, too far-fetched. But we'll see. It's a, uh, it's definitely nice to see, as you said, though, there was a, a pretty interesting story. And, I, and we touched on it before. Just the whole story around their game development and the struggles they went through and the risks and stuff. I'm not saying go out and copy that. It was probably a hair away from being a just complete failure. No one ever heard about, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure they did some community building and stuff like that, as we were just talking about. And I think built that up, but it is interesting to see like that particular genre have some staying power. We talk about like, how long will this last? It's like, even stuff like Valheim lasted quite a while. I think most of the games that I've had some early success in that genre tend to stick around. You look at stuff like Ark, uh, it's stuck around quite a long time. And even like, you still see some of the smaller ones, like the forest into the sons of the forest and stuff like that. As long as they have some unique hook, they tend to stick around for like a longer yeah, time. Yeah, those games, I feel, from a meta kind of view and a design standpoint, I think they're well suited to that. That's the, like my previous examples that I gave, like Fool Guys and Among Us. What they had was it was so easy to get into and you could understand it really quickly, but there wasn't really that much to retain you. These type of games, they're very sticky loops. You're playing as that progression. It's like how with Power World, it's like how many powers can you get? It's literally got to collect them all with Pokemon, right? Got to catch them all. So I think that alone makes it like a sticky game and it's easy enough to keep the content treadmill going. So yeah, I think this is one that, like I say, I don't think it will maintain those numbers. I mean, in terms of CCU, but... 
I feel this will be here for a while and it won't just be a fad. Yeah, and I think it's also worth noting, like, they very quickly seem to make a deal with Microsoft for Xbox Live. And that must have been, like, less than a week of deal making. Like, they were probably on the phone, like, 24-7 making that work. And so that's a big, I think, coup for Microsoft to pull that off and, like, pull them over as quick as possible, make that huge deal. I remember seeing something, like, in the indie movie, wasn't there, like, some big thing with Meat Boy and, like, that whole thing where they're trying to negotiate a deal to be in the part of their indie thing. Like, that was a big, like, back and forth. I feel like it was, like, that kind of scenario but just these sort of frantic phone calls to try and make it in that window. And I think obviously that helped. We talk about the 19 million and that was 12 million on PC, which of course, like it's been dominating steam. It's like right now just below Counter-Strike 2, but it was like above it at one point even. It was like the top game on steam period. And getting above Valve's games is never easy. (laughs) That's a rare feat. It usually like down in the hall of fame of like peak gamers at that point. But they did manage to pull it off and they're still right. Like I said, checked earlier today, still just below Counter-Strike 2. So they did obviously quite well on PC, but like Xbox, 7 million of that. And that obviously, I don't know if that counts. People just playing on Game Pass. But if it doesn't, like then, yeah, maybe they cannibalize some sales for Game Pass players like that were just like, hey, I'll play it on Game Pass. But I think because even with that week delay, everyone jumped on it already. Like by, by the time it came out of Game Pass a week later, everyone already probably owned it at that point that was going to play it or at least tried it out there. And my point around that, though, is even if they don't sell any more, I got to imagine the deal they have with Microsoft is still going to continue to bring them money around the Game Pass version. So mm-hmm. even like non-continued sales will still help them succeed if that continues to be a game that's played on Game Pass. Because if it's still played a lot on Game Pass, Microsoft will obviously want to keep it on Game Pass because that helps keep people around on the subscription because it's a subscription. Therefore, anything that keeps people playing is a positive for that subscription. So that's like a very positive situation for them because it's a type of game where you do invest in your server or your world and you build it up and like people have a sunk cost like we were talking about earlier. So it's a very interesting situation for them to be in where I think they could sustain a a good amount of income for a while at the very least to actually consider what they want to do next, whether that's a power world two or treat this more like a live service ongoing thing for a long time. Like they definitely have a lot of opportunities and options at this point. It is good, as you said, to see, and hopefully they spend the money wisely and don't go do a bunch of dumb stuff with it. But In terms of live service stuff, there was one last thing we wanted to touch on, which is not like a a news topic in of itself necessarily, but it is related to a game that was just released, which is, we talked a little bit about this before in a couple different ways, which was around live service games, like uh, people, like maybe shying off them even a little bit. And then also we've heard from people jumping on them, like it's back and forth. And WB, uh, Warner Brothers was one of the companies that was like suddenly very bullish on it. And it seems like every article I saw on that was mentioning that, in a way that they almost like felt like they missed the boat on doing that with Hogwarts legacy. Like they were like, darn it. If only I'd done that with Hogwarts legacy, I'd be mm. rich now. Like that, like almost regret around that. It seemed to be the con- the context for the announcement to me, not in so many words, but like a subtext. And so they've been trying to make that shift to live service games. I know that they had games slated for 2024 that aren't going to make that. So like the two games that they have announced, I believe won't be live service games. At least the wonder woman game, supposedly will not be single player. And then the Harry Potter Quidditch game, Quidditch Champions, I believe it's called, doesn't seem like it will be. I don't think they've specifically said it will not be, but that is one that is multiplayer. But bringing it back to the games that have come out, the reason I bring this up is I want to question whether or not this is a strategy that they've been executing well on and whether it's been a good idea for them to be maybe overly enthusiastic as they have been about it. Again, we don't know what they're what they have planned for past 2024, but the two games that have come out, like in this 
strategy have been Mortal Kombat 1, which was really Mortal Kombat 12, for those of you who <laughs> don't know their insane numbering system. Or, or Injustice 3. Well, you get to 12, you, what can you do? Believe, yeah. yeah, exactly. So there was that, which was which shifted a lot of stuff from Mortal Kombat 11's like, design into like live service most meaning like the piece mailed it out they stretched out some of the content like in terms of characters like took a lot of them out of the main game and stretched them out they did a lot of modifications to the game to support a live service model which hasn't gone down 100 great and i'll get into the detail of that but the other one being the suicide squad game which just came out and the big thing around that was from the developers of the Ar- Ar- arkham asylum series of batman games that was very highly regarded that sort of trilogy that ended it was it 2015 Arkham Knight, I believe came out. And so it's been a while since they released one of those and it was a big deal. And also like Kevin Conroy's passing was like a big point of contention with it. We won't get into that, but it's unfortunate. Kevin Conroy, definitely one of the best, but it, it definitely was a big shift for them into live service because they'd been developing the single player games. Obviously Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat wasn't single player, but it wasn't truly live service. This one was like shifting from single player to live service, looter shooter, almost like destiny or something like that sort of model where it's very grind heavy this story ends before really the live service starts and then it's like artificially stretched out past then and for games that are built around their story and their immersion and that sort of single player experience into this different co-op shooter experience it it hasn't seemed like it's worked out great and it's a little early to be 100% on that but I do think if we look at the numbers around these games and the responses stuff like that it is looking like they could be maybe putting the cart before the horse when it comes to converting at least established franchises into this model. And that's what I worry about because WB is more than happy to constantly beat their chest about their IP and their franchises. So I would expect that is where they will plan to use this stuff. First off, I just get your take on sort of Mortal Kombat and being a street fighter, you know, fighter fan in general. I'm sure you have lots of opinions on that, but also anything you have to say about Suicide Squad, I haven't had a chance to play it, but definitely it seems like growing pains for, for WB with their live service strategy, which is not surprising. It's funny how you see so many companies pulling out from it. I think it's one of those things that you have to have conviction for because if you're going to do it, you're not going to solve it immediately. You've got to stick the course. And for as successful as Fortnite has been, remember that game was in development for around seven years and didn't exactly have a smooth start. It a was huge only the- pivot. Yeah, yeah. They changed the game. Let's be honest. If it wasn't for PUBG, I think the game would have failed, but they spotted that and managed to change and put that game mode in. So that's what I mean about, are you going to stick with something or not? I do think what's a bit weird with WB though, is that there some of the games they choose to be live service. Is it the right pick? Like certainly of Suicide Squad, that was one of the big sub, well, you're kind of, yeah, your reaction here for those on the video, you can see it is very similar, but you know, as you say, for a studio that was so known for making these great single player games, even though they did move more to open world over time, is that the sort of with characters and the story, can you really sustain that as a live service? It doesn't seem like a good fit. I know they had some technical problems, but you've also got a studio that doesn't have experience in building those games. So if you put that all together, would you expect that to be a super smooth smash hit right out of the park? I probably wouldn't, would be just my not knowing anything, but just 50 foot view of things mortal kombat i think is an interesting one it's funny because you asked me what do i think of it in terms of being like a fighting game and i've always said that like as weird as this sounds it's um i don't really consider it a traditional fighting game per se i don't think that's a bad thing i've always felt that it has more of a kind of casual flavor to it rather than an arcade view so people i know who play that game they are more from the casual standpoint 
they get enjoyment through playing the game for the story, for the characters. And- I would ask which Mortal Kombat you're talking about that starts with, though, because I, I don't think that applies to like one and two, maybe. Where, no, because they feel like that starts. Yeah, really? yeah. So I would say I, I think it was four. It's whichever the first series was that didn't come out in the arcade. I personally do remember playing Mortal Kombat 3 and Ultimate 3 in the arcade. So I think when you're an arcade game, you're still by definition competitive because you're literally putting your quarters in and you're saying, I am better than you or you're better than me, Devin. Let's play and let's have a best of three kind of thing when you've gone to console then you you're realizing you've got like a different demographic and the series has always essentially had a gimmick to sell it which is fatalities i don't know if you've seen but in mortal kombat one they have extra fatalities that you can buy as dlc right so they're looking to monetize what is the gimmick of that, the game that is, that is a great example i would say like of the live servicing of that yeah, but I guess my point is that the right way to live service it. So I always say that a lot of fighting games, it has surprised me that more fighting games haven't gone down the live service route. I've always been shocked, actually, that neither Street Fighter nor Tekken tried it, because I feel like if you were to do the League of Legends model where you start with two champions or two characters and then you can try out or then buy the other characters outright that how many more people would you reach? And in my opinion, I think you'd reach a ridiculous amount. But you have the whole issue of competitive landscape when it comes to paying for characters has always been a huge point of contention, though. But you could grind to get those characters too, right? Right. So it could be that like, if you're just a free-to-play player, if you play the game every day for two years, you'll actually end up with eight characters. But if you wanted the whole 36, you have to pay for them. As Um, you said, like obviously League of Legends has their own model around that sort of thing. That does show that like competitive landscape can still have yeah, character do. rotation things I, I get your point but i mean my, my all i say is that i feel that like especially with those games the reason it surprised me is the one thing that they've proven over the years is they have incredible gameplay that people will stick around and they want to play it over and over again so if you've got something as sticky as that what your barrier to entry is is getting people to try it in the first place if it's free and there's no commitment people are way way more likely to try it so i think from that sense it it can make a lot of sense as you say with mortal kombat with the live servicification as you i don't know if that's a word but we're making it a word now but if you're going to do that if you already have an initial upfront cost then you know are people going to stick around now to be fair i do know that in mortal kombat the people who play that game they're not so interested in the online play they're more interested in the other kind of modes where they have a kind of towers mode or conquest mode and things like this that are essentially grindy rpg mechanics i don't know if you've ever played the mortal kombat mobile games but they're not fighting games yeah they the might onslaught look like... one that came out recently yeah yeah, yeah I, but... I played a bit of that one as well as the street fighter one which were both very different takes for sure yeah because they're not really fighting games they look right. like them but they're not they're rpgs in disguise so you could go there you know um, what I know is that I feel that players feel that Mortal Kombat 1 was rushed. It didn't feel like a finished game when it came out. Well, it's a live it, service game. You don't have to release it completed. But perhaps it seems you to do be the philosophy. Yeah. Look, I would say that even a lot of games have got that wrong. Like Street Fighter got it wrong with Street Fighter 5 too, which is that if the game comes out and it's not as good as the previous one, you're it, you're starting off in a bad sense. Yeah, you like, probably should, should finish that first before putting that up. Yeah, it's notable that both Street Fighter 6 and Tekken 8, which has just come out recently, both of those had extremely strong launches because the opinion, especially from the hardcore players, is that on day one, they were very well-rounded, that they had a lot of content and good gameplay. Street Fighter 6 having amazing netcode and that kind of got them off over there. Because as we're saying here, this MK has not really sold so much, whereas the previous one got great sales. It hit 15 million. It's still the highest selling fighting game. 
out of all of them, even though I've said that it's not really a fighting game, it's more of a kind of single player game. But with this one, if they've already on the da- the decline, it's hard to see them picking up. And so I fear for that franchise a little bit. And perhaps if you are going to plan live service, it's still important that the base product is good enough to retain player interest so they want to keep there. It's a difficult one to say. What I can see is that, yeah, they're still obviously a bit far away. I mean, you know, WB also had Multiverses, right? Which is a game you really like. And, and that so also that, that was what I was going to get to after, is that's go, 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 the next yeah. one in the, in the volley. To, but it's like, it's a relaunch rather than a yeah. launch, though. Yeah. Unless you consider that beta was actually a beta, but of course, like if you could spend money and buy season passes and stuff, let's be honest, that's not a beta. What I would say, and which I would guess would worry me, is what have they learned? Because none of these games right. seemingly had a good, smooth launch. That's, nor... yeah, that's the big test, right? Is, yeah. is if they come out and they've learned a lot, they actually had a chance to try it out but they were free and i think that's a big difference is the versus wasn't coming out it was a platform fighting game so more similar to smash brothers and that like but it was also still a fighting game and it had characters you could buy and things like that's what you're talking about but it also was free to begin with and i think it was hugely successful it used ip as well definitely flexed warner's ip quite a bit as well as i still see to this day like Pretty much every day on the subreddit, there's people talking about what characters should come in. So being like a cross IP thing was clearly a big win for them. But it is going to be a big question because there is like no information on what's changing with the relaunch. And there's like these weird sort of like uh, promotions that came out in McDonald's in like Germany that may have just been like delayed promotion deals that weren't <laughs> even relevant yet. But supposedly it's launching sometime early this year. So like that may be like next month or whatever. A lot of people speculating that it was meant to kind of like wait till the Suicide Squad stuff was done. And then follow up, it is important to bring up to see, like, did they learn from that? Because their big problem was around monetization and retention were, like, very difficult for a Smash Brothers style game because that's difficult to do. But we still have games like Brawlhalla that are managing to survive. So clearly it's there's some model that works. And that also is dipped into cross IP and stuff. So it's just a question of, like, yeah, if did they learn anything? And if they do, that would be valuable learning, I think, for WB in general. So, like, they, yeah. were, they pretty much took a year off that game, which can't have been cheap. Uh, to be spending on that. I doubt they like scaled the team down to retrofit it either a lot. So they probably were working very hard on it, like expensive. So hopefully it's a case where like they were essentially investing in here's how live service should work. Obviously we'll find out when it comes back out. It was free. So obviously you could try it when it comes back out, unless for some reason they pivot it to, to paid. But that is a big difference is both Mortal Kombat and Suicide Squad were paid up front games meant to continue to monetize you after that. And their big complaint I see in any review of them is even the positive reviews are like, this game's too expensive. Oh, there you go. There and you so go, yeah. Clearly the upfront price is a big part of that hurting the games. And obviously you go back to the original Mortal Kombat, you had to pay quarters to, to play every practically every fight you did. It was always pay to play, but this that shift the mentality around buying upfront and then continuing to milk for money. I don't know if it always works great, but I think their older model wasn't so bad. Like, so I was a pretty lapsed Mortal Kombat player and hadn't really played one much since like three, probably. But 11 brought me back in because of the DLC, which was Robocop Terminator. I think it was Rambo. I was just like, dude, I'm going to play as Robocop Terminator. I don't care. I bought the game, like a two different systems because of that. I bought the full complete edition so that I got the DLC with it. Like they brought me back in. But if that was like a live service model and I was having to buy that game and then do some weird grinding stuff or all this other stuff to get it, like that wouldn't have sold me the same way that did. And that brought me in as a Mortal Kombat player to the point where I was like actually excited to see what one would do. Mm. And then they dropped the ball, in my opinion, with that. And it's interesting to see like that upfront cost as well seems to not be helping 
retention. Obviously, it helped their initial profit, right? The way they supposedly sold 3 million copies, but they haven't said anything since that. And that's the part that makes me suspicious. They announced that when they hit the 3 million, which was like very early on, and then have been dead silent since I couldn't find any numbers after that. And that was quite a while ago. It was September, I think, was when they when it launched. And they, you know, I think they announced those numbers, I think like maybe a month or so after. And they were like, just to give Steam numbers as an example, they were like 14K average players. That's the average, not peak. And they're all the way down now to one of the lowest of all the fighting games. I like, what was it? Uh, 1.7, which is, that is below games that have been out since 2021. What was it? Uh, Guilty Gear Strive, which still has some life in it. That's hitting Evo again for the third time. It's like, it's got some life in it, but it's a 2021 game. And that never had big numbers, but it still managed to hold in the thousands on average players. And it's 1.9 right now. And mm-hmm. you've also got like 1.9 for, what was it? Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, which is Rising, which is, I'm sure like the aficionados have been all over that, but that's not a game a lot of people have heard of. And if that's hurting worse than a huge franchise on its 12th game, that's not a good sign for a live service. Like the whole point of live service is that retention. Obviously we don't have numbers for console. These are console centric games more to be mm. fair like the numbers would be better on xbox or ps5 or maybe not switch the reviews on switch tend to be very negative in terms of performances of you, you still have a point though that right. those steam charts do tend to be indicative because if we compare that to 11 11 still had quite a strong base even years after 11 almost has more than one does right now 11 i think it was at like 1.7 or like 1.5 yeah. like it's yeah. actually close they shouldn't be neck and neck yeah i mean i know battlefield 4 for example was one of those kind of games that would hang around but this is not. This is supposed to be a pass the torch franchise, not a go backwards franchise. Exactly. So this, I just think this is a an indicator that maybe WB needs to like calm their excitement for a minute and like if these games that they're working on now aren't coming out this year, take a breath and think about their strategy so they're not just like excited about the next Harry Potter thing they can slam live service onto and make <laughs> sure that it makes sense because like even Harry Potter is that really a good fit like for Harry Potter to become a live service game for the same reason was Suicide Squad a good fit. Maybe if you have the right developer who knows how to do that correctly. And this is nothing against the Rocksteady because they're fantastic developers. Like they, they make a great game. So like I still see a lot of positive reviews and right now it's still at very positive on Steam with like about 84% positive last I checked. So there's still people, a lot of people enjoy the gameplay. But like I said, even the positive reviews that are part of that 84% are like, this game's too expensive, buy it on sale. Like it's not enough for them to refund it, but they wouldn't buy it again kind of thing. So it's, this is a difficult position to be in where you're charging full price for these games. And, uh, and you know, I was even looking at uh, Street Fighter 6 is still doing better. Tekken 8, which just came out, is doing better. And these are games that aren't, like, as you said, leaning super hard in the lean, the, into live service, but they are doing DLC, right? They're doing more like what you would expect from these games, which is let's release a solid game and then continue to expand on it not let's release a rushed game and then piecemeal it out so that people have to wait a month between each thing and get quote unquote excited about it. It's clearly not seeming to work from, in my opinion, obviously Suicide Squad is a little early to be sure, but I do see them already starting to tank in terms of number of players. And it's fairly low number of players for that type of game. That's a co-op multiplayer game, which means you're expected to be at least more than one person. So the number of players matters even more than like a 1v1 fighting game would, for example. So it's not looking great. Obviously, Multiverses struggled and may or may not be able to come back. I really hope it does as a fan of that game, just because it was a fun game. I liked it and, uh, and it was free. And there's no reason not to jump in and have a good time as long as you wanted to. And it wasn't overly monetized. It wasn't stringing you along with stuff. If you wanted characters, you get them. They weren't crazy. It just 
didn't have the retention. That's And that's the problem I see with a lot of the stuff when we talk about people backing away from live service games is retention is not an easy thing to do. And it's hard to do it without skewing the game in negative ways. But you could do it positive ways. It's just not easy. It's not the easy lift. So I, I feel like we'll have to wait and see the other IP that they, they have that they've mentioned that I do think, obviously DC outside of just Suicide Squad, the Wonder Woman game, like I said, is not tagged to be like that. It's meant to be open world, whatever. And it, surprisingly, I noticed it was from like a developer. I'm surprised it's still doing cool stuff. Like Monolith, which goes way back to like Blood and Shogo and stuff. But uh, cool to see they're still around doing stuff. And I, they're a good developer. So I do expect if they were to do something, they would also be able to do it well. But I don't think that's going live service. But there's also Harry Potter, as I mentioned. And Game of Thrones is one that they've teased a couple of times. That I could see them going more in that direction. And they didn't mention, I don't know if they have still deals around Lord of the Rings, but that was what Monolith had done previously to this was the Shadows of Mortar uh, games, which were quite good. So, I don't know. We'll have to see. But obviously, there's a lot of different directions you can go with any given IP. So there could be something very appropriate in DC that makes sense for live service and just have the right developer. And I don't know. Think about it correctly, because... I hate to see them, them screw this up with good IP and especially with franchises going back to the 12th game now. And as a side note, I just happened to catch a, a really great documentary on Midway that includes a lot of like the early stuff oh, Mortal cool. Kombat, Which one's uh, that? on YouTube called Insert Coin, I think it was. Oh, okay. sure. But I do recommend anyone who's curious about the early Midway people and their mentality just... As a fan, I think it's a fun watch. I think it's... If you want to see how Mortal Kombat developed originally... I think that's a great one. It's just on YouTube. So I think you just watch it for free, but uh, definitely recommend checking that out. If you're interested in the early roots of like those people just doing crazy stuff and not thinking about it from live service, but still thinking about monetization, which was interesting. Like they're very much like how they're doing the sales of the, it's quarter by quarter. And I don't mean a fiscal quarter, a literal quarter, 25 <laughs> cents at a time was their yeah. mentality at that point. And so it's a very interesting, <laughs> I think, contrast to looking at and in, in context for something like Mortal Kombat 1. So we'll have to see, obviously, like Tekken 8, for example, is pretty new. Multiverse hasn't come back out yet. Street Fighter 6 may or may not have a long lifespan. It has dipped a bit in terms of player base. We'll see. I don't, I, I'm not ruling Mortal Kombat 1 out yet, but I do expect that they're going to have to work to earn things back a little bit. The, the, the scores on Metacritic are not great. The reviews are at mixed on Steam. While Suicide Squad has had a better start, I do expect that that will also potentially suffer a similar fate if they don't find some way to pick that up just word yeah. wise if you're doing live service games like just think it through a little think it through yeah i i would always say take your time i think it's interesting you <laughs> yeah. mentioned the multiverses just to put it out there of course i get it that portfolio slates are planned years in advance with revenue targets so it's easy for me to say this but if i was someone like a sony or something similar i think rather than committing to having all my games live service right away i would choose one kind of smaller ip and or game and studio and use it as a testing ground and really just work it out so that you can fail five, six, seven times if need be until you really learn what you need to do. And then once you've got one that is a success, then you look to bridge it out. I suppose to be fair to Sony who've bought Bungie, they probably think that because they have the Destiny IP now in their, their, their stable that they've already got that. But yeah, for example, in WB, I think just if you make your entire slate like that, it's and you haven't had one success yeah it just feels like you're making the same mistake in different ways multiple times rather than solving the core issue like i, I said one it's way to learn yeah, yeah i suppose so the more expensive, expensive way. way to learn but yeah it, it's, like i say it's a, i just want to say that's a very easy thing for me to say and point a critical right. I, I get how it works in these big organizations but 
my experience is that the amount of times i think we've discussed it many times on this show or off air that to get a live service game working it's like fundamental shift in the way that everything is done it's not just the case of the game quality and things like that i mean it's interesting how early you mentioned how you felt making mobile games was easier than console and pc but i feel now yes i was going to say that i feel in in the, the space year 2024 which is now where we live that's not so the case maybe from the pure artistry and visuals required yeah i'm talking about the technical aspects yeah yeah but if you include the overall package i think you'll find that there's different problems that are just as complex in a different way there you go i'll end this with one final thought obviously wb needs to just bring harry potter over to fortnite (laughs) it's not the worst idea obviously that's the solution (laughs) but with a two billion investment because they'll have to increase yeah you gotta step it up come on you can't just match them if you want priority access or you can bring dc or i'm not sure if dc ever had a fortnite crossover i don't recall but where's the dc versus marvel fight in fortnite there we go anyways yeah that's the final thought there i think uh we actually ended up with quite a bit to discuss on these topics and i think as you said like a lot of interesting stuff happening this year and definitely keep your ear to the ground because uh, there's just a lot of people trying to work out a lot of interesting problems. I think that's worth highlighting is that uh, it's not easy money, but there's a lot of money to go around, it seems. So definitely got to figure that out. But we'll help you figure it out as well, you know, with uh, trying to bring the insights we can from the news and uh, interesting things going on. But I want to thank, of course, you listener and Anil for managing to make it. Thankfully, no, no floods over there, although I'm sure it rains plenty. <laughs> it is raining right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're on an island, so you're fine. Right? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the, thanks to everyone for tuning in. And uh, I think we may or may not catch you guys next week. I think we're still trying to figure out the schedule for uh, the next holiday week. But just stay tuned and uh, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.